being a cardiovascular specialist, I've been uh, all my life, I've seen the ravaging uh, effects of cardiovascular disease on our bodies. Interestingly enough, when I finished my fellowship in 1998, uh, I was told there's no cure for atherosclerosis, which is heart disease. Uh, I was taught to fix problems like a plumber. Basically, I would either clean out an artery or I would bypass an artery um, or I would uh, put a stent in or do an angioplasty. So we were taught to fix problems, but we, we were never focused on any, in any respects on preventing the disease. It really wasn't a part of our makeup or, or, or our thought processes. We were just willing to let people have the disease and then fix it on the back end. Welcome back to another episode of Plant-Based DFW. This is Maya. And today I wanted to share an interview of Dr. Riss. And this one is not done by me. It's actually done by Jewel Nove. Uh, Jewel is the founder of the Plant Superpowers Summit. This was season two, which ran um, in April. This will be number two of three summits that Dr. Riz will have been part of this year. And uh, it was such a good interview that I asked for permission to um, share this interview with our listeners. Dr. Riz will actually talk about the work that he does as a vascular surgeon, and you're going to learn about his personal change towards becoming plant-based and the role that Rip Esselstyn played in that change. Make sure to listen to the entire interview because towards the end, Dr. Riz offered a special gift to the listeners of the summit. And we wanted to offer the same for you so that you can grab a copy of Dr. Riss's Guide to Preventing Cardiovascular Disease. And in the next couple of episodes, I'm actually going to be highlighting the summit that is happening online that was supposed to be here in Dallas and some of the featured experts that I interviewed. So please uh, make sure to subscribe. And also, I wanted to share that our podcast has been named one of the top 10 plant-based food podcasts that you can follow in 2020. And I'm going to link to that article. Okay, hope you enjoy. Welcome to Plant Superpowers Summit Season 2. I am Jewel, your host, and today I have a special doctor that I'm interviewing, Dr. Riz. Dr. Riz grew up in Dallas, Texas, before attending John Hopkins University, followed by medical school at UT Southwestern Medical School. He also did his five-year general residency in Dallas and then did a two-year fellowship in vascular surgery in Cincinnati, Ohio. He has been practicing vascular surgery in Dallas for more than 20 years. His primary hospital at Baylor Sunnyvale, where he formerly was the chief of surgery. Currently, he serves on the board of directors and board of managers and is now Chief of Staff of the Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Riz. Well, thank you, Jewel. I appreciate you having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be on the summit. It's a pleasure to have you. So today we are going to be talking about nutrition and cardiovascular disease. So you've been in this business for 20 years. When did you make the connection uh, between food and uh, the cardiovascular disease? Well, that's a, that's a really great question because it'll tell you, it speaks to uh, our system and, and kind of how we actually compartmentalize and don't think about nutrition uh, as, uh, as related to our health. Uh, as a cardiovascular specialist, I've been practicing for a little over 20 years, but I didn't really make the really strong connection until just a few years ago. Uh, maybe four or five years ago, uh, it started to all come together. And I can tell you that, those, that story in detail 
but I've been plant-based now for nearly four years. You know, interestingly enough, I, I did have an inkling of the importance of nutrition and even exercise on our health, but uh, exactly what that form of nutrition was uh, didn't come together for me until about four years ago. So you just mentioned you're going to tell us in details how it all started. So please. <laughs> okay. So my story is uh, being a cardiovascular specialist. I've been uh, all my life. I've seen the ravaging uh, effects of cardiovascular disease on our bodies. Um, and uh, w interestingly enough, when I finished my fellowship in 1998, uh, I was told there's no cure for atherosclerosis, which is heart disease. And uh, so uh, I was taught to fix problems like a plumber. Basically, I would either clean out an artery or I would bypass an artery um, or I would uh, put a stent in or do an angioplasty. So we were taught to fix problems, but we, we were never focused on any, in any respects on preventing the disease. It really wasn't a part of our makeup or our, our, our thought processes. We were just willing to let people have the disease and then fix it on the back end when they're already sick and they're already having lots of bad effects from it. So I always was you know, interested in maintaining a good healthy weight and exercising and what I thought was eating right. I always ate fairly lean, but I, was a, uh, I did eat meat. Uh, like many people, I uh, had this idea that I, you know, I had to get a lot of protein. Um, I wasn't afraid of carbohydrates. I did eat good carbs. A few years ago, my wife, uh, Maya, who I've mentioned to you, you know, you've worked with her a little bit, she dragged me to see Rip Esselstyn give a talk at Whole Foods. And uh, he challenged some of my beliefs at the time because he talked about reversing and preventing heart disease. Uh, and, and we all know who Rip Esselstyn is, and he, we know his father uh, who wrote the book on reversing, preventing and reversing cardiovascular disease or heart disease. And uh, it kind of challenged my belief set at that time. Uh, I was actually in the audience saying to myself, who is this guy? Who does he think he is telling me that you can prevent heart disease or you can reverse heart disease? And I went away a little bit skeptical, but at the, at the same time, it, it did challenge my belief set. And I did go do some reading and some investigating. And I looked at how to prevent and reverse heart disease. I looked at the China study. I started to learn about uh, work by Dr. Dean Ornish uh, in the field of uh, cardiac uh, medicine and, and uh, reversing disease. And suddenly this whole new world opened up to me. I couldn't believe that it actually existed, not only existed, but it existed well before my time in training. Much of this data had been elucidated uh, in the 90s before I finished my fellowship. And yet, despite that, they were still teaching us kind of old paradigms. And they're still teaching those today, as a matter of fact, which is quite frustrating. But nevertheless, uh, this opened my eyes to a new concept. And, uh, and as I learned more, these weren't just stories or ideas. I'm very evidence-based. I'm very data-driven. Uh, and the science is extremely important to me, but the science was there. The science is very strong. And so I began to realize that in my very own field of uh, atherosclerosis, cardiovascular disease and heart disease, um, uh, you, you can prevent atherosclerosis uh, through your diet. And uh, you can also reverse atherosclerosis through your diet. So that's how it became a very important thing to me. So I changed my lifestyle because I felt like it was important for me to live something I believed. And then I also started uh, teaching this message to my patients. Uh, and then my wife and I, in, in the last couple of years, have organized an organization called Plant-Based DFW. And we've used this to reach out beyond the borders of my own patient population to uh, spread the word. Sometimes we feel afraid to say what we stand for because we want to we wanna be nice to other people and not to offend them. 
Yeah. And even though Rip Esselstyn did not have an intention to offend you, but you were resistance to his message. You had the resistance to his message, but that message really plant a seed in you. You just hit the nail on the head. You said plant a seed. And uh, he wasn't offensive in a, in a bad way. He was just spreading his message. And it was something that I had never heard before. It did plant a seed in me. It stuck with me in my brain. Uh, and it did cause me to then step outside the box that I lived in uh, and, and try to take a look at, you know, what was he talking about? I could have, uh, you know, either I was going there to either disprove what he said, okay, and, I, and if I had, then I would have jumped back into my box and lived in that box for the rest of my life. Or, uh, you know, he planted a seed, which I then investigated and said, oh, look, there is something to this. And, and I, the reason I use that term, plant a seed, is because that's what I try to do today. You probably have seen that many people are resistant to this message, to this idea. And uh, not everybody we speak to is, is receptive to it. But I, I keep, uh, I call it preaching the message or spreading the message because I'm hoping to plant seeds. Uh, and if people hear it enough or uh, they might have heard it from me and then maybe a few months down the road they hear something else. And they go, oh, yeah, you know, I've heard that before. And they might be op more open to it. So it's, it's just planting seeds and hoping that some of them will, uh, will uh, grow to fruition. And this is the intention of this summit, uh, is to plant more seeds to spread the message. So back to cardiovascular disease, uh, what changes do you see? I mean, you've been practicing it for over 20 years, and only in the last few years, you started to use plant-based uh, lifestyle. Yes, we, we read a lot about the science, but sometimes you just want to hear it again from a doctor, like what do you actually see? What evidence do you have that it's really working? So it's very interesting. So the, the risk factors for cardiovascular disease, um, there's, a, there's a, uh, some that have been very well elucidated, such as uh, you know, male gender more than female, smokers get it more than others. Uh, but some of the other risk factors are some of the chronic issues that we deal with, with like hypercholesterolemia, diabetes, hypertension, obesity, uh, and so we have these chronic issues, those, those few that I just kind of listed for you. And when you uh, start, people start on a plant-based diet, you see changes, very dramatic changes in those particular risk factors. Obesity, uh, you know, a person on a plant-based diet tends to lose weight uh, naturally. You know, they don't even have to try. They can continue to eat very well and eat to satisfaction, but they lose weight. Uh, the cholesterol drops uh, on a plant-based diet. It drops precipitously. In, in the vast majority of patients. Uh, typically, the ones that you don't see a drop in, it's because they have some sort of familial or genetic predisposition, which keeps it a little bit higher. But it still drops in most of those people because they're not adding uh, uh, saturated fat and cholesterol on top of their diet. And then you see uh, reversals in hypertension and reversals in diabetes. And so uh, all of my patients who have these risk factors, now uh, the, the risk factors for those disease have gone away or lessened. And so you can see that then they're going to get less disease. As far as clinically, as far as the atherosclerosis and, and, and seeing reversals, I've seen it actually quite dramatically in heart patients when people who come in with what we call stable coronary angina, so they'll have chest pain uh, with, a, uh, with a, a certain type of uh, amount of exertion. And, uh, and then they go on a nice plant-based diet. And it's not just the plant-based diet. I also preach a lifestyle, which I would love to speak to a little bit more in detail. But uh, the plant-based diet being a significant component of that, 
And then within a few weeks to months, their chest pain disappears. And that's a good sign that there is stabilization and even reversal of the coronary artery disease, which is causing the chest pain. We don't typically go back in and do another angiogram to take a look. So it's very hard to prove clinically, but especially if patients are improved, well, when I mean prove anatomically, but when patients are improving clinically, you've got to believe that there's something going on there. In that light, Dr. Dean Ornish had done the studies to that effect. He had taken patients in the 1990s uh, and split them into two groups. One continued on what we call best medical therapy, uh, which did include continuing along their diet, but they were told to eat better, but they didn't necessarily go plant-based. And then he took another cohort of patients who he went, put on a plant-based diet, as well as uh, some uh, lifestyle changes. And uh, there was a statistically and clinically different significant improvement in the plant-based diet group. And he did take them back and do angiograms and he showed that uh, their disease was better. So we already have studies to show that. Yes, we do. Can you tell us about the stents? Uh, if the people already have stents, is it worth to go on a plant-based diet? Do the stents really prolong your life? So that's a really good question. The sarcastic people that are able to say, oh, I'll just go get my stent when it's my time. Well, the problem is that stents aren't the end all and people with stents also continue to develop disease. The stents might fix a particular problem. Uh, in, my, in my life, I call it putting out fires and plugging leaks, but it doesn't stop the process. The process of atherosclerosis continues. I, I am a vascular surgeon and I treat people. Uh, and I typically treat people who need it, who are kind of at this stage where, you know, they can't just go on a plant-based diet and reverse things. We're talking about people who have impending gangrene or having strokes. So I do believe that there's a place for this treatment, but at the same time, Changing your lifestyle is extremely important. Otherwise, the process will continue, disease will come back, and you won't have bought yourself much time with a stent. I've see, I see it all the time. You can put a stent in, and six months later, the, the disease has come back. The, the stent is blocked off. By going plant-based and by changing your lifestyle, you can tip the scales in your favor and try to help arrest the disease or help reverse the disease so that you're not back on the operating table a few months or a couple of years later. You mentioned that the heart diseases start at a younger age than we realize. Can we talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a fascinating, fascinating thing. I think uh, when I started, uh, we were typically treating people in their 60s and 70s. It actually starts when we're, we're, when we're much younger. There was a study that looked at, actually looked at Korean military men who had been killed in action. And they, when they brought them back, they did autopsies on them. And uh, there was a, a very interesting finding that 78% of them had some form of atherosclerosis. Now, that interesting thing about that is that the average age of these people was 22 years old. So 78% of people had atherosclerosis by the time they were 22 years old. And this was in the Korean War, so this was in the 1950s. So think about that. Now, fast forward 70 years and look at how bad our diet is today compared to the way it was 70 years ago. The diet has done nothing but gotten worse and worse and worse. I call it the fast food era or the McDonald's era, where uh, we eat a lot of fast food, a lot of processed foods, foods full of cholesterol and fat uh, and salt and sugar. It's interesting. I told you that in the, in the 90s when I started, that my patient's average age was in the 60s and 70s. But it's not unusual for me today to see somebody in their early 60s or late 50s. Sometimes I treat people in their 40s now. I've even treated some people in their 20s. So this disease is progressing, it's getting worse, uh, and we're seeing people who present at a younger age. And we also know that too, based on some more modern studies, 
uh, where uh, with our modern imaging techniques, we can see the beginnings of atherosclerosis at a younger age. Uh, and I learned something from a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Nancy Erickson. She's a maternal fetal medicine specialist who deals with uh, high-risk pregnancies. And she, uh, I went to a lecture of hers last year where she uh, uh, taught me that they are now seeing what we call fatty streaks, which is the beginnings of atherosclerosis in uh, fetuses in utero. The, the diet that the mother eats is actually giving the baby the beginnings of atherosclerosis before it's ever born. So wow. can you imagine how early it's starting now? And so, yeah, our diet, uh, which has gotten worse, you know, not only does our, our disease start at a very early age, it's starting even earlier and our diet's getting worse. So the, the, the way I look at it is it's these, these uh, uh, blockages start building up when we're young, but they don't reach a critical mass until we're a little bit older. We kind of live like we're invincible, like nothing can hurt us when we're in our uh, teens, ten, 20s, 30s, and 40s, uh, and then this thing catches up to us later on in life. Well, I have, um, I lost some friends in the early 40s to heart attacks. So mm -hmm. it's definitely younger. Now it's in the 40s. And we hear a lot of uh, people having heart attack in the 40s. Uh, also, sometimes people say, oh, well, when, the fr uh, when uh, people have a heart attack in the 40s, they say, but they looked healthy. They did. They did not. They were not overweight. Is it possible for um, a person who looks lean to still have the blocked arteries? Certainly, there tends to be a certain type of person who gets atherosclerosis, but there are outliers. And obesity is not the only risk factor. So there can be people who might be who might have high cholesterol, uh, and they might have high blood pressure and or the beginnings of diabetes and not know it. Uh, they might have been a smoker. Um, so there are other risk factors. There's this thing that a lot of people think it's their genetics that predispose them to this disease. And so they just think that they're doomed uh, to it. My mother had it. So I had it or my uncle has stroke. So I'm going to get a stroke. My dad had a heart attack. So I'm going to get up, you know, I'm going to need a heart bypass operation. And even to those people, you know, the true incidence of genetic predisposition to disease is probably on the order of five to 10%, if not less. So the vast majority of it has to do with our own exposure, which the biggest issue is food. But to those people who, you know, who either have, do have a genetic predisposition or those who believe they do, my, I would say to them, well, why make it worse by eating a bad diet? So your best chance of uh, coming through this and your best chance at preventing this from happening, even if you do have the predisposition, is to eat a good diet, which makes you healthier. So uh, that's what I would say to people. Thank you. Um, when we're talking about heart disease and high cholesterol, is, that a, is there really a link there? Because again, I hear some keto people saying that it's okay to have a high cholesterol. Uh, you, should, you should eat keto, ketogenic diet, lots of fat, and the cholesterol doesn't mean anything. Well, I, I think that they, they're just saying that in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Uh, and so, you know, just because they say it doesn't make it true. Uh, the keto diet is particularly challenging to us because it does result in weight loss. I think the attendant uh, improvements in some of the, what we call the uh, measurable factors like cholesterol and uh, uh, blood sugars and things, those improve when people lose weight and they get to a healthier weight. But at the same time, 
you're insulting your body with a high saturated fat, high cholesterol diet, which I think over time will manifest itself as atherosclerosis and heart disease. It's, I think these people are getting what we call short-term gains, uh, but they're going to have long-term problems. And uh, the keto diet has consistently been rated as the absolute worst diet that exists. And so if, uh, if the keto people really wanted to do this on evidence-based medicine, they would look at all the evidence that's out there uh, and, and understand that, you know, sure, you can lose weight in the short term, but in the long term, it's not a healthy approach. Thank you. You also mentioned that you want, I read about what, what are you doing? And it says that your specific interest in minimally invasive procedures, such as atherectomy, angioplasty, and stenting for limb salvage and amputation prevention. And you also, uh, there was also a mention of varicose veins. So is there any link between varicose veins and diet? So that's, a, that's an interesting one. I, don't, I haven't seen anything that particularly uh, addresses that. I would say that uh, people who are overweight are more predisposed to varicose veins. So in that sense, our diet can impair our, our, our vein system in our legs and cause varicose veins because uh, uh, when we're heavier, there's more pressure on the veins uh, and then they become, the valves go bad and then, then they can become varicose. But the particular diet itself, I haven't seen any data one way or the other. Okay. It's interesting uh, to see if it can be reversed or uh, well, made. Yeah, I will tell you this. Um, I do advise all of my patients who have varicose veins who are overweight that their symptoms will improve if they do lose weight. So, and then I do talk to them about, well, you know, most of them, in fact, all of them are typically on the standard American diet. And I do talk to them then about changing their diets and uh, how to have a healthy lifestyle and easily lose weight uh, and then improve their health, which also then improves their symptoms from varicose veins. You also mentioned about uh, you, uh, the lifestyle, and you mm -hmm. said you want to talk a little bit about the lifestyle as a whole. So please. Yeah, yeah. So thank you. Um, I came into this from a from a nutrition standpoint, and that was kind of my uh, major interest. But I began to get interested in the blue zones as a form of kind of learning about how plant based nutrition or plant based diets improved your health and allowed you to live longer and healthier. When I was reading about the blue zones and they, they talked about the various characteristics of the blue zones, such as a plant-based diet being one of the main things, but then also getting plenty of sleep, getting exercise, having community, having a, a relationships and avoiding risky behaviors, uh, such as uh, taking, using tobacco or drinking too much. And it was very interesting. Uh, at the same time, I began uh, to get exposed to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine which had a very similar philosophy. I kind of adopted uh, the tenets of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine into my practice as well. I've been going to their meetings and I got board certified in lifestyle medicine last year. When I talk to my patients about their risk factors and, and what they can do, I don't talk to them just about changing their diet. It, that is a very important aspect of it. But I also talk to them about their lifestyle because there are many things that affect our health. And getting plenty of sleep is important. Getting plenty of exercise is important. Uh, avoiding smoking and risky behavior. So uh, this is part of the, what I call the overall package that I present to my patients and also when I uh, lecture and teach. So what works the best when you're talking to your patient who is not plant-based? 
to transition them to plant-based? That's a good question. So, you know, it's been a little bit frustrating because not everyone's receptive. But I, uh, as I said, I just keep planting the seed. Um, I talk to everybody about it. I, I think many of them hear me and they understand that it's important, but they don't see how uh, they've been doing something for several decades, five, six, seven decades of their lives, and they don't see how they can change or they don't see how making a change so late in their life can make a significant impact. But at the same time, I continue to talk to them about it and I give them examples and I, I have the literature to show them. And, uh, and then uh, when they are receptive to the idea, I, uh, I have resources available to, uh, to, to refer them to. And also I have uh, registered dietitians that I work with who are plant-based. Uh, and what we try to do is I don't expect people to uh, just overnight become plant-based plant like I am. You know, in living in our world, being plant-based is very foreign. People don't understand what that is. They don't necessarily know how to cook. Uh, they, they might even think it's very difficult uh, to do. So what I try to do is uh, meet people where they are. I just, uh, I start by saying, you know, let's, let's have you just incorporate more fruits and vegetables into your diet. And I, I'm a big fan of green leafy vegetables because uh, those are very good for atherosclerosis. Green leafy vegetables cause your body to release more nitric oxide and nitric oxide is important for arterial health. It produces healthy arteries, it reduces your blood pressure and it reverses atherosclerosis. So I, I really do push the green leafy vegetables. You know, the average American eats one serving, maybe one serving of vegetables a day, one, maybe one serving of fruit a day. So shoot for adding several servings of fruit and vegetables to your diet on a daily basis. And when that fills you up, you tend to eat less of the bad stuff. And then at the same time, so on the backside, try to think about critically eliminating some of the bad stuff. Don't eat that bag of potato chips or don't go eat French fries or don't buy the Oreos or the Nutter Butters, which are you know, not healthy for you. So we start them slow with achievable goals. Uh, and then if, after they reach that, go to the next step. Some people, you know, they move very fast. Uh, you know, I've had patients who I might see them a month later and they've completely uh, converted over. And then others have just barely gotten to that point where they've added one or two more servings of fruit and vegetables. And so we take each person individually and move at their pace. I put my clients into the five-week program like right away, like cold turkey, mm -hmm. and I see a huge improvement and weight loss. Uh, if you will have to uh, tell your patient what to ditch first, like dairy or meat, what would you suggest to ditch first? Well, of course, they're both very harmful for us, but I, I tend to typically tell people to ditch dairy first. It seems to be something that's easier for them to do. Uh, and also, I think that dairy is, is pretty unhealthy for you. Uh, very, very unhealthy. Saturated fat, uh, uh, growth hormones that are, uh, promote cancer. That's typically where I start. Usually I tell people, the first thing I'd love, if you, you know, add more fruits and vegetables, but if you're going to eliminate something from your diet, the first thing to eliminate is, is, uh, is dairy. When you started, what was your biggest challenge when switching to plant-based? For me personally? Yes. For well, you I'll personally. tell you, you know, um, I think it was to make the food uh, interesting and tasty. Um, I too was subject to this kind of the similar things. I started with eating just a lot of rice and beans. So I, I think that hopefully I've got a message to share with patients that yeah, yeah, I too went through a transition and it was kind of boring at first, but when you open up your, uh, your mind to it and start to do your research, you can see that there's everything in the world available to you and the, and the foods can be uh, tasty and exciting and uh, you can crave them. 
uh, and you just have to go out there and learn about it. And that's why also I tell people that it is a, it is a process. Um, you do have to arm yourself with information. You can't just go from A to Z overnight. You kind of have to go through every letter of the alphabet first. And so, and the way to, and the way to do that is to go out and educate yourself and learn. For patients, they got to have this, they got to understand their why. Why are they trying to do this? What's, what's important to them that, that they want to make this change? And you had your wife is your support, is your support system. Oh yeah. She's uh, kind of, uh, she's helped me kind of push me through this and, you know, and led me to it. Like I said, she, well, and I, and I didn't say this, but she was already uh, a vegetarian pretty much. Uh, she had not been eating uh, meat and pork uh, uh, for a long time. Uh, and uh, so she was the one who kind of pushed me to go see Rip Esselstyn in the first place. And so it's actually, it is certainly, it is easier uh, to do it together as a couple. There's another thing that's important for my patients is support. And, uh, you know, when you have, when your spouse is doing it, it's much easier than when you're, when you're kind of alone and isolated and your, and your spouse isn't doing it or you're, you know, many times culturally and socially, we are felt to be like pariahs because we're doing something that nobody else not only uh, wants to do, but they make fun of you or they don't, uh, or they put pressure on you to, to, to give up on it. And so social support is important. And so setting, I tell patients to try to set up uh, ways to uh, have that social support. And that's, again, why uh, Maya and I had uh, created Plant-Based DFW uh, as a, uh, a support uh, circle in the Dallas area. We do things like uh, potlucks, regular meetings, lectures, uh, and uh, get-togethers. We do uh, monthly walks, which uh, uh, we're involved with a national organization called Walk with the Doc. Uh, and so we do walks to get people together and get them out as well. Oh, this is beautiful. So there is a support system in Dallas. Well, it's growing and hopefully we continue to grow it. Yes. Yes, you will, because we are all growing. This whole mm -hmm. movement is growing. I know that you are sharing a free gift with our viewers, and I would like you to talk about it a little bit. Well, sure. So we've come up with a guide. It's called Dr. Riz's Guide uh, to Preventing Cardiovascular Disease through lifestyle improvements. I believe you're going to create a link for our viewers, right? It's a PDF. We have a lot of the concepts that I've talked about today about nutrition and lifestyle. Um, there's uh, key pointers about that, uh, along with resources to learn more where you can uh, go in the right direction. And then also we have some uh, recipes that are in there, some of my own recipes uh, and some recipes from other friends uh, in the plant-based world. Uh, and they're not, uh, it's not by any means a huge recipe book, but it's kind of like some nice, easy things to get you started. I believe I, uh, my, my hibiscus tea is in there. Uh, I'm a big fan of hibiscus tea because it's good for blood pressure. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a nice alternative to drinking uh, caffeinated uh, teas. And then I have my green smoothie recipe that's in there as well. My, my green smoothie is rather complex because I have a lot of ingredients in it for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, but uh, so I had that in there with some of the uh, stuff uh, explaining why I have different things in there. Are there any uh, spices that you use that you think that prolong our life or good for us? Well, yeah, of course, in my smoothie, for, and I'm a big fan of turmeric, uh, as most of us in the plant-based world are. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful spice. And then um, my smoothie, I have, uh, I put jalapenos for the cayenne. Um, I use uh, ginger. Uh, I put lime in there as well. Um, I also use something, this is a, uh, for me, I use something called amla powder in my smoothies, uh, which um, I would use, amla powder comes from the Indian gooseberry. Uh, and I would use the Indian gooseberry if I could get that regularly. 
but it's uh, but it's not available on a consistent basis for me. But what it is is uh, it's very good at controlling your blood sugar, mm-hmm. and I do that kind of uh, kind of preemptively uh, because my family has a strong predisposition to uh, diabetes, uh, and uh, being of Southeast Asian descent, uh, I have a higher risk for diabetes than the general population. So I, I use amla powder in my uh, in my smoothie as well. It's probably not a bad idea for diabetics or people who are pre-diabetic to consider. This is very interesting. Thank you so much. Are there any uh, cultural dishes that you made plant-based and that you love? Well, that's an interesting question. I didn't even I didn't even plant that one, that one with you, right? Um, my mom wrote a cookbook uh, of uh, Pakistani dishes. And so, uh, and I love that cookbook. I used to use it a lot before I was plant-based. And then when I became plant-based, I took that cookbook and I started uh, making the dishes plant-based. Uh, and many of them already were pretty much uh, what I call, you know, what you call plant-based. They didn't have any meat products in them, but I would make them a little bit healthier by eliminating the salt and eliminating the oil from the dishes, uh, learning to modify them. And it really wasn't that hard. Uh, it pretty much using the same ingredients, uh, and then just learning to cook without the oil and salt. And in, in my opinion, Indian and Pakistani dishes are so full of many other, uh, spices, you know, that, uh, cardamom and, uh, fennel seeds and cumin and all these really tasty spices that you don't, there's not, and cayenne too. And there's, there's not a need for salt when you start using the other spices. But, uh, my, my favorite one is something called alu gobi. Uh, which is uh, potatoes and cauliflower. That's one of my favorites. Uh, another one is called chana masala, which uh, is garbanzos uh, and uh, and lentils. Uh, so you know, we do. I do have my favorites out of the cookbook uh, that we tend to make a lot. I think that Indian dishes are wonderful for plant-based diets and, and ethnic dishes in general because they often use so many different types of spices and flavors. Uh, that we're not used to, and it, and it just enriches our food. And what about desserts? Our environment is full of desserts, and on plant-based diet, can we have some? So you can have them. There's, uh, there's lots of recipes I've seen out there. Uh, many of my plant-based friends have uh, brought various types of cookies and uh, oatmeal and carrot-based cookies and brownies and different things like that, which are plant-based and, uh, and that you can have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I'm in the operating room, I, I say I have a captive audience because I'm sitting there operating and I've got my assistant across from me and the anesthesiologist at the head of the table. And we have a circulating nurse in the room who, you know, who helps us, you know, she gets things for us and she records things. And so oftentimes uh, uh, the conversation might steer towards plant-based nutrition. And I say they're a captive audience because they can't go anywhere. They kind of have to listen to me. Uh, it's very interesting over the, even just over the last couple of years, I've had a couple of anesthesiologists convert to plant-based nutrition. I've had several nurses uh, convert after they've heard me talk. And one of the nurses the other day uh, made me, uh, uh, it was a nurse's week. She had brought a cake up for nurse's week and she made a plant-based cake uh, that I, uh, and she specifically saved a couple of pieces for me. And it had uh, squash and zucchini in it, very interestingly, uh, but it tasted wonderful. It was sweet and moist, yeah. So uh, you can have uh, plant-based uh, desserts and they taste great. I was just going to ask you if you influenced anyone around you in your workspace to, to go plant-based because I also have a friend who is a nurse and she's saying that it's not a pretty picture what nurses eat. It's mm-hmm. 
It is not. And it's shocking to me in my own hospital, the food that we feed the patients. Patients who've just come in with a heart attack or a stroke, and the next morning they're getting turkey bacon, as if somehow the turkey is healthier than the regular bacon. Uh, but it's still bacon, and it still ha it's still a meat product, and it's still got fat saturated fat and cholesterol in it. So there's this disconnect that uh, the foods that we have in the hospital uh, and the foods that we, you know, we eat ourselves as uh, healthcare workers. So yeah, there's a problem out there. Do you see the future in the future we're moving toward plant-based, like the hospitals and for patients? Yeah, I think, and, and I have, as, I, uh, as you mentioned in, in the opening, I am chief of staff of my hospital, uh, and I have brought this up uh, with the leadership, with the, with the administration, and with the uh, nutrition services, and we are working towards offering plant-based options. Uh, and I have seen, even just with my few conversations, I have seen a shift in, uh, in the attitudes. I think they definitely recognize that it's not appropriate for a hospital to be serving the same food that put a patient in the hospital in the first place. Uh, and when all they had to do was have somebody kind of mention it to them, because probably no one's ever challenged them, and I don't challenge them in a bad way, but in a positive way, saying, hey, how can we make things better? How can we present this in a positive light? How can we make sure we're doing the right thing and we're doing better? And, uh, and so people are open to it. The CEO of my hospital is open to it. Uh, the nutrition services are open to it. So uh, hopefully we'll continue to move forward uh, in presenting uh, good options. I don't think we'll ever be able to remove many of the bad things from the, from the uh, menu, uh, but maybe we can improve what's there and then add uh, good plant-based options as well. So there is hope. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think we're moving uh, in the right direction. Um, we see it every day. Uh, Plant-based nutrition is, is getting a lot of uh, airtime uh, in the media. It's, it's more, people are more open to it. People are talking to, about it all the time. There's certainly a momentum uh, uh, occurring that, that wasn't there a few years ago. Last question. What is your personal favorite vegetable and fruit? Uh, my favorite vegetable is arugula believe it or not. So, um, and maybe spinach, but arugula is probably number one. Over the years, I've learned about the, I talked to you about the nitric oxide uh, and of green leafy vegetables. And arugula has a very strong, potent nitric oxide uh, releasing component when you eat it. So it produces a lot of nitric oxide. And so uh, psychologically, that was really important to me. And I started to eat it. I like baby arugula and it has that kind of strong peppery taste. Uh, and it's something that I didn't like before, but now I like it. And so I'll put it on my pizzas. I put it on my sandwiches. I put it in my smoothies. I have it in my salads. My favorite fruit, I may say, though, that probably mangoes are my favorite fruit. It's uh, something maybe from growing up. My mom and dad would cut mangoes all the time. It's culturally, we eat a lot of mangoes. So um, for me, when I think about a fruit that I like a lot, mangoes are that. Well, thank you so much for being on this show. It's been a great interview and I hope your hospital will say yes to plant-based food to serve the patients. Thanks a lot. And thank you so much for having me. Well, guys, we hope that you enjoyed this interview of Dr. Riz by Jewel Nove. And if you're interested in obtaining that free guide that Dr. Riz was talking about, I'm going to link in the description below the website, but also let me go ahead and tell you it's bit.ly forward slash Dr. Riz guide. That's D-R-R-I-Z 
G-U-I-D-E. And what does this guide have? It's like 25 pages of information that includes lifestyle medicine. There's a letter from Dr. Riz as to why this is important for him, why he became a vascular surgeon. He addresses lifestyle medicine and things that you can do to prevent cardiovascular disease. And the 10 recipes that we include in there are for myself, Dr. Riz, and some of our friends here in the Dallas area. So we hope that you enjoy. And thanks again for listening. You've been listening to the Plant-Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.